0: Hello everybody, welcome back to the Founders Club Podcast. Today, my guest is Ashley Galina Dudarnok, uh, a marketing expert, founder of Alaris and Choza. Moreover, she is a global speaker and three-time best-selling author. Uh, Ashley, welcome to the Founders Club Podcast. And I hope I pronounced everything correctly.
1: Everything was perfect. Thanks so much for having me, Giorgio. It's awesome to be here. <laughs>
0: I was following you for already several time on LinkedIn, I think it was around 2019, someone just pointed me out your profile and since then I'm following your content and I'm really excited to actually after a year and a half to have you on my podcast, I never thought I'm going to start one actually, but I think part of it came from you, uh, your influence, <laughs> pushing to create content, even though you're like, even though I was in a startup, you know, not much focus on content, but if you want to build a community, you have to start to show your, yourself, your face and communicate uh, with your audience. And LinkedIn was the, the, the platform where I found you doing that and try to emulate to some degree what you are doing.
1: Well, absolutely. You're doing exactly the right things because it doesn't matter what kind of business you are in right now. Doesn't matter what your position is, whether you are a founder or you're working for a business. If you are in this game long-term, you need to become um, essentially an expert. You need to become a thought leader and you cannot become a thought leader if you're not sharing your thoughts and uh, not showing your face. And uh, all these are very, very important concepts, hence podcasts, videos, blogs, articles. Each person can choose their own medium. Right now, the most uh, kind of welcome medium for many platforms is a, a video. Uh, content type, right? But uh, everybody can choose their own content type and just, you know, start doing the game. It's a long-term kind of commitment. Definitely it takes time and uh, effort, but the rewards are incredible. So I congratulate you on this journey.
0: Yeah. And I think uh, in terms of platforms, like choosing LinkedIn as one, like the main platform I start, I decided to focus on was uh, a really, I didn't, Thought like doing it on Facebook, Instagram, or other platforms, mm-hmm. which you should do. But as a professional, I thought LinkedIn was what resonated with me with me most. And I would like to talk with you about that maybe later on during the podcast because you are also a 2019 LinkedIn Voice. But I want to do a step backwards and start with a story. So once upon a time, there was a girl in the cold, dark <laughs> Russia in Vladivostok with a long. Long, I don't know why you long.
1: think it was dark. <laughs>
0: yeah. Russia, when you think about it, most of the time it's cold and dark, uh, not my, much sun. And this, lo- this girl uh, one day has been given this opportunity to go in China. And I wanted to start from there. And you, if you can share your origin story of getting to China and obviously, most importantly, start your entrepreneurship journey.
1: Right, so uh, indeed I was born in the Russian Far East which literally borders on China. It takes us about one hour drive to reach the you know northern Chinese borders and uh, as a child I think the first place that I visited um, as a foreign country was mainland China, Japan and Korea. So that's what my hometown borders on and to your comment being dark, Vladivostok is actually the sunniest, one of the sunniest Um, city is in Russia so we have a lot of sun even in winter we might have a lot of snow but it's very very sunny and uh, it's hilly it's actually like San Francisco so it's it's a bit more sexy than uh, the gloomy Russia or or Siberia or Taiga that people usually think of and um, as a child um, I was you know, introduced into a lot of opportunities to, you know, to study abroad and to go abroad. And uh, uh, I've been to New Zealand, I've been to the UK and at one point, um, yeah, China was the place where I decided to go and study my degree to basically study uh, business and economics. That was my degree. And I studied it together with the Chinese students. Um, meaning I had to speak the language. So the first year in mainland was dedicated to learning Chinese and later on it was basically uh, business and economics and stuff like that. To your question, why have I chosen China? Um, I believe that there are two reasons to travel around the globe. Uh, One is money, the other one is love. I was 17 years old. Which one do you think it was?
0: Well, 17 years old, we do a lot of mistakes. So I guess love for (laughs) (laughs) girls.
1: Well, uh, that one was love and I don't think it was a mistake because it has given me a beautiful um, understanding of the country, which is right now undoubtedly leading the world in many, many areas and undoubtedly uh, one of the most important places in the world for business, for growth, and it will continue to be that for the next minimum 50 years and more. So um, I moved to central China to a place called Chongqing, population wise, the largest city in the world. They have more than 30 million people living there. And it was essentially very interesting, very different. I've learned um, how to be, you know, how to adapt fast. I've learned the new language, I've learned the new ways. And I've also seen the early 90s, the 2000s, and those are micro businesses. Yeah, somebody selling fruits on the streets, Somebody is literally running a shop or having a manufacturing facility. Uh, These were micro-businesses, but that was the time of growth. There was so much optimism in the air in mainland, and it still is. When you come to China, you will understand that a lot of people, entrepreneurs included, general public included, they're very optimistic. And when we go to Europe, my husband is German, I'm being, you know, from Russia somewhere in between East and West, people are a bit gloomier. They have sort of more realistic expectations of the future. So uh, coming to China, that was definitely another kind of push towards I graduated. I worked for a couple of companies and I realized that it was really, really boring. So I said, what's the worst thing that could happen? Let me just set up my own firm. So my entrepreneurship journey really started, so I was brought up with the, so, And uh, yeah, it started also on the basis of that optimism that the whole region uh, driven by China is going to be growing.
0: Right, so being in the in this environment and kind of like getting infected about this bug of entrepreneurship, it kind of like you know you, you are the average of the five people or the, the your environment. So you become what you absorb in terms of knowledge, experience, and people. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, I think it's pivotal for many people who want to start a business. But I think what you mentioned it, uh, interesting is that. Um, And I I so many times talking with founders, especially those who started a business in China and progressed to build it successfully, it's related to the language. So do you you think that the language also, I assume that language being able to speak Mandarin gave you a better understanding of the the ecosystem and how to navigate uh, that environment
1: absolutely i mean the language is not even a question nobody uh, would go to i don't i don't know how can a person just go to a new country without understanding you know the culture the needs the problems of those people how can you go into the country and start a business this is just the most insane just you know relocate to china because it's a growing market you know they're going to be successful no you need to either you have trusted advisors interpreters the whole team chinese team that leads your success in the market or you yourself if you are the entrepreneur that has the vision and also you have the boots on the ground you have the um understanding of the language the culture and you're constantly learning i've been living uh, in greater china for the past uh, 14 15 years and i'm still learning Uh, I speak the language, I write the language, but this is not all. There's so many myths, there's so many uh, cultural elements, there's so many stories, there's so many books, there's so many references that I'm constantly never-endingly learn. And besides that, China is not just, you know, one kind of broad culture. There are so many subcultures based on the region, the city, the um, province, uh, again, the dialect, et cetera, et cetera. And all all of them have their own um, preferences, traditions, behaviors. So I think as an entrepreneur, you definitely need to be mm, curious. You need to be an inventor and you need to be, uh, as I said, curious inventor. And if you're not curious enough to learn the language and understand what the two problems are, well, I think that something's really, really wrong.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So going back to what you do, you're a marketing expert and you found, uh, you're you a founder of two leading marketing consultancy agencies, providing services to both big names, corporates, but also uh, SMEs. And I currently started my own LinkedIn marketing uh, consultancy agency where I try to, where I help founders, CEO, and executives to build their brand and generate more revenues through LinkedIn, Given my previous experience at uh, at EduGo, where I was leveraging LinkedIn to reach to managing directors of schools and obviously provide our uh, uh, LMSs and I said, okay, I want to start this new business, but obviously I'm coming from a startup-ish environment. Um, And I wanted to ask you how, and obviously a startup is different than a consultancy. A startup, you try to push your product as much as possible to as many people as possible. And then you figure out what is your unit of economics and what makes sense where well, I guess, I assume a consultancy is different. And I wanted to ask you, given your uh, experience, what, is, what are the best, um, how do you build a successful consultancy marketing agency and how do you scale that over time?
1: There are two parts to that question. So the first part, how do you build a successful consultancy? You build it the same way like any successful business, um, but you need to start with expertise at the core. If you're manufacturing a physical product, um, if you are, you know, um, I do not know, uh, drinks or something like this, you, you have a bar, then you probably have a different proposition, right? You've got different unique selling points. But when it comes to consultancy, uh, when, you, when it comes to a service in general, often, especially B2B service, not just a haircut, B2B service, people generally want to purchase that service from somebody who is a true expert. So that is why your expertise is at the core of it. And how do you showcase that expertise? You need to show up every single day and you need to share that knowledge for free. A lot of that knowledge, right? And um, a lot of people in the consultancy world because they are selling information, because they are selling their insight, Many of them make that mistake. That is literally the biggest mistake ever. They withhold the knowledge. They, they hold it and they say, you know what? If you pay me $100, I'm gonna tell you what it is. But if you don't, I'm not gonna give it to you. And that prevents um, masses, yeah, B2B masses, to actually get to know this person. And it prevents uh, this person to be perceived as an expert because they are not, again, communicating, they're not sharing, they're not educating. So. In B2B marketing, the best marketing is teaching, teach them and show up, as I said, every single day. When you start with that expertise, there will be unique opportunities coming your your way. You as an expert, and that's, I think, another second point that a lot of people don't understand. You as an expert cannot be running after clients. I cannot be knocking on the doors of Coca-Cola or Disney or somebody else. Uh, and say, hey guys, this is me. Do you want to pay me some money and I'm gonna consult you or I'm gonna do something for you? This is, I mean, this is just such a painful process. It's very low efficiency. It's gonna take you much, much time. And that's where luckily majority of businesses are competing. What you have when you have expertise, when you have that brand as an expert, these companies, Coca-Cola, Disneyland and many others, come to you and say, hey, would you have time to spend you know, a couple of hours, a week or a month to consult us on something? Or here we have a problem, do you know how to fix it? So very often right now, obviously, it took some time. When I just started the business, we were working with anyone. And of course, this, the cheaper money, usually their expectations are out of proportion. So you spend exactly the same time with them, like with a big client, and their expectation is just unmatchable because they want to make a positive ROI for every... Service. They have no, um, I don't know, no brand, etc., etc. Their kind of desire to succeed is absolutely mismatched with reality. So you're working with those customers. You get very, very tired. You are literally like trying your best and there are some success cases there are some failed cases what is still successful but it's not a again for them in their eyes it's not a positive ROI so it's a failed case so at the very beginning when you start a consultant you're very very tired there after a few years of doing personal branding, thought leadership, this education and sharing and truly becoming an expert, you do all the same things, but with much, with much higher budgets, people that actually can pay for advertising, people that actually can hire you know, bloggers, people that actually can launch big scale campaigns, where you are complementing and you are leveraging your expertise to a completely different scale and you are getting amazing results. Um, and plus, you are having those people come to you, right? I would say difference um, between, you know, pitching to someone and just being a service provider and the second one being an expert and being respected and being, you know, consulted like a doctor, right? People come to you uh, as a doctor and they say, Hey, this is a problem. Please fix it. Very often they come and say, okay, let Ashley fix it. They don't say consult with five doctors and see who is the best for us. They say, This is Ashley, we've observed her, we've watched her for one year, for two years, for whatever. Let Ashley and her team fix it. And this is essentially where you want to aim. And the second question was how do you scale a consultancy? Um, You need as a founder to understand what kind of business you are in. And if we talk in China terms, there are two types of businesses. One type of business, you raise it as a pig. The second type of business, you raise it as a son. So if you raise a pig, what do you want? You want a fat pig, right? And then essentially you want a fig farm. And then what do you do with the pig? When the time has come, you kill the pig. Either you sell it or you exit or whatever. Basically, you raise the son. What do you do with the son? You mentor him. You invest money. You probably send him to Harvard, um, uh, all that stuff. And do you kill your son at the end? Do you want to exit that business? No, you don't. I mean, you would be crazy if you want to kill your son. What you want, you want the son at one point to step up and you take the back seat and the sun is taking care of you and your family for generations, right? So somehow uh, the dynamics is different. So I believe a lot of founders right now in 2020, are really confused what kind of business are they in? Are they raising pigs or are they raising a son? For me, I'm raising a son. So I'm, in, I'm not planning to sell my business. I've, I've been approached so many times by people saying, hey, let us throw a couple of dozens million US dollars. And then you, know, you run this huge consultancy, consultancy with 700 people. And then we will uh, incorporate your brand into this. But I'm not interested. I'm raising, uh, I'm building an empire. I want to have an umbrella of companies. Like Richard Branson, he's got, you know, he's got a bank, he's got an airline, he's got, and all that has the virgin brand, but essentially it all has this Richard Branson DNA. So for me, I'm building my little empire connected to China. And yes, there is an education branch where we educate brands on, you know, how to make things happen. There is an agency branch where we go and launch those campaigns. There is... Um, uh, inspirational branch for entrepreneurs to learn how to get their psychology right when they're starting businesses, et cetera, et cetera. All these make sense to me. They come together as this little umbrella of companies. So I'm not planning to sell out. And for me, scale is not into taking one business, like an agency branch, and then growing it to 700 people, For me, it is about diversifying and building your ecosystem, closed loop ecosystem. Again, learn from China. What does Alibaba do? What does Tencent do? What does ByteDance do? They build complementary businesses. Then they loop them together and they create their ecosystem. So when it comes to China digital marketing ecosystem, for me, I have seven business models. I have books. I have, as I said, education like training. I have open masterclasses. I have uh, campaign services and retainer businesses. I've got a group where people subscribe and companies subscribe and we give them insights about China once a week. And so it's, it's an ecosystem, whatever you want when it comes to marketing in China, we very likely either have it or on the verge of inventing it and launching it. And for me, this is growing the business. Uh, for many others, okay, how do I actually uh, focus on this one company and grow it to 700 people? Um, I believe that you need to see uh, where is your also level of, um, not comfort, but level of involvement. If you want to truly scale your business, you need to have, as we all know, a phenomenal team. And you need to move away from being an operator to be a business owner. You need to let other people run the business and run the companies. And uh, when you make that transition of a business owner rather than the operator, you can actually focus either on scaling that one little business that you want um, and finding what is your role in scaling that, or like me, coming up with new ideas, being creative, uh, being, you know, interested about the world and introducing all those crazy ideas and letting my team together with myself obviously bring it and make it a reality.
0: That's so interesting. And there are so many insights that I want to decompile a little bit. So first of all, I love the analogy. And as a founder, uh, a CEO, you have to ask, probably most as a founder, you have to ask the question, I do I want to raise... A son, or do I want to raise a pig? And then you touched very interesting on the point and the positioning. How do you want to position yourself? Think about it in the short term, medium, or long term. Do you want to serve everybody, and those 80 percent, 80 percent of the customer will give you, or 20 percent of the customer will give you 80 percent of the problems, or do you want to have those? uh, 20% of customers that give you just 80% of revenue, but not much problems. So that's a really important. I think it's a very uh, interesting insight for myself as well, who just started this new venture, iAnox, And I'll actually apply those learnings right away <laughs> in terms of positioning, branding, and reaching or getting uh, clients that uh, are interested in my services. And I think uh, just think where you were talking. I was thinking, okay, where is my expertise? Obviously, my expertise in tech and education, and that two uh, elements I can I can leverage to provide services to founders who are in a startup environment and most even even more deeper into education, uh, tech startup environment and B in B two B. So thank you for uh, helping me to clarify my thoughts myself and for this free consultancy, uh, advices. <laughs> Uh, and that's why I love doing podcasting actually, because you learn a lot from your uh, hosts. Uh, and going back to what you mentioned, I want to build a closed ecosystem and put some barriers, entry barriers. Uh, and this closed ecosystem will be my little empire, my son, that will give me an ROI over time. Obviously to build this uh, as you mentioned yourself, you want to put yourself not on the driving seat but on the one who's observing all the drivers who have to run a different uh, uh, business um, businesses within the company but obviously this requires to get on on the board the right people so I, I I myself just got on the board the other week, the uh, person to help me out to manage all the, the things that I have to do and handing all this uh, task or to do things, it's a little bit hard because you, know, you, you never know what to give and what to take control or what to lose control and give to another person. And I want to ask you, uh, what are the best um, or be, even better? How do you find the right talent to onboard um, the company and how do you retain those talent over time?
1: So I would say that the best analogy here would be how do you find a wife or how do you find a husband? Your most important um, step of you know, committed relationship is selection. If you select the wrong partner and most people unfortunately do because most people get together because of the proximity or an accident, like you, you, you are working next to each other and that's how you get together, or an accident or whatever else, right? Or you, 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 you yeah. need someone, you feel that you need someone. And so selection is the most important. And um, in our company, when we select people, we really take them through seven uh, circles of hell. Uh, first, when they submit a CV, uh, obviously this is an easy screening. Um, only relevant people get an email from us. And then this email, we ask them to um, finish the task. So the task takes between one to two hours. So for example, if it is a designer position and they apply to be a designer, we ask them to design a brochure, a an article or whatever else. If it is a copywriting position, then obviously they need to write, let's say an article or a post or a tweet or something else. Um, uh, if it is a general marketing, uh, if it's a researcher, same thing, they get a tailored task. So um about 60 percent of people actually get back with the task and we only give them one day 24 hours because if they are not you know if they're not really serious about it if they want to take three uh, days or one week uh, for it uh, and they basically it means that they're not really urgently looking for a job we yeah. always give them this option to say hey if you're really busy right now please let us know and we can extend the deadline but within one hour they get back to us with the task then a relevant person within my team. For example, there is a head of uh, projects or head of strategy and they look at this task and they say yes to no. Do they see potential in this person? Did this person actually put a thought into, you know, doing whatever they were doing? Or was it just, okay, something like, ah, oh, get off my back, here, here is the thing. Um, if they did, then the next step is I will personally give them a call. So on that call, um, I usually call early in the morning. And on that call, I just want to understand, first of all, what are they looking for? Like, what are their requirements for the company? They have requirements. We have requirements. What kind of person we are looking for? You know, you need to have certain experience. You need to have certain skills. But what are their requirements? For example, some people want to work in a big corporation. Sorry, that's not us. Some people want to... For example, we had some applicants that come for a designer position and they want to work with a creative director and they want to work in a creative team. Basically, they imagine that they're going to be working with 20 other designers and then there will be this big guru that that uh, um, inspires their artistic interpretation. Well, sorry, this is not us again. Um, so through these Conversation. First of all, you understand whether the person can speak proper, Uh, in our case, English, because we always, um, uh, you know, hire somebody or often hire somebody um, whose first language is not English. You will understand what are their goals, what are their requirements for the company. Very quick chat, usually within five minutes. If the person is adequate and you think that, yes, there is potential, we invite them for the trial day. And the trial day is a normal day at work. They come in at 9 a.m. and they leave at 5 p.m. And uh, they get to experience what does it feel to work in our company? Here is the office, here are the people. Our team will have a lunch with them. They can ask all the questions to our team members. Throughout that day, they will also help one of our project managers to do something that they are actually um, responsible for. And there will also be one or two interviews during this trial day. After the trial day, our whole team sits together and each person gives the feedback. How did they like this candidate or they didn't like them? If we feel that this is a great candidate, then we ask everybody again, if there is somebody who says no. So it's a little bit like in the church, you know, when you say, okay, somebody's gonna marry someone, Uh, either say now uh, or hold your peace forever. So it's exactly the same thing because ultimately the team, uh, you cannot beat team dynamics. You introduce one, bad apple and it's going to spoil the whole box people need to be comfortable with this person and um yeah and then if everybody's happy then we essentially call this person up usually on the second or third day after the trial day and yeah we make a job offer so after the trial day things go really really fast and uh, then we have four months probation period because three months is usually too little you need to train them up quite a bit Uh, so four months probation period if we see that the person is uh, you know amazing and uh, very very effective then we promote we had some colleagues that were promoted five within the first year and if the person we see they are not performing we usually give them two to three months to improve so we have this review processes but essentially hire slowly fire quickly if there are under performance do not hold them and might be phenomenal people but just not fit i think this is how you grow a team one by one you uh, select, you select, you select. Selection is the most important. That's 90% of your success. And the other 10 is you need to understand what is driving them. For each person's different things. For somebody title is really important, especially here in Asia. For other people, money. Again, they, they just want to make sure that every time they're successful, there is a, you know, bonus in terms of, you know, cash. They want cash. Other people, uh, for them work environment for other people, recognition when the boss comes in and da, da da usually it's a combination, but still you need to understand for each of your direct reports. I don't have, you know, 25 people at direct reports. I have my four or five people with whom I'm constantly in touch with and other people I'm involved with, but, you know, my team, my senior leadership team have their direct reports. So at least for your small group of direct reports, you need to very clearly know what motivates them, what's important for them, what are they going on through life right now. For example, some of them is moving houses, the other one just lost their granddad. You need to know all of that, not because you're asking, but because they are telling, because they're sharing. You need to be Um, You don't need to be, you know, the best friend uh, kind of boss who sits there and gossips about unrelated things. This is not healthy, but you need to be um, the person that they trust, the person that they know has their back and the person that they are um, open to speak about, like speak out their mind. This is the core. And uh, then as always, you will have some people coming in and leaving, especially junior, Right? Every year, every two years, there will be this kind of grand migration. And this is absolutely fine, right? For many of these people, especially we work in a young industry. This is social media. For many of them, it's the first job. So they do it for one year, for two years, and they move on, which is great. We train them up. Uh, But uh, for your top senior team, you really need to make sure that, you know, you understand again, what's important for them and that you um, give them what they need, not what you want them to give to give them. And that's also a crucial, crucial concept. Very often bosses give people what they think is important. So you give others what you think is important, but you need to give others what is important for them. If the title is important, give them a cooler title. Maybe for you, it doesn't matter. If the money is important, give them the money. If the part of your business like um, shares or something is important. So all that is a learning process, right? And actually in psychology, we call it human needs psychology. You really, as a boss, as a phenomenal boss, you need to become a phenomenal psychologist for two reasons. First, you need to be in control and in charge of your own mindset because the success of your business will never, your business will never outperform the psychology of the founder. If you think small, if your psychology is that, then then your business is going to be that it's never gonna outperform the psychology of the founder. And the second reason to be a great psychologist is you need to go and understand your team and coach your team and lead your team. And all that requires you to really become an expert on um, motivation, on positive psychology, on human needs psychology, and many, many other things.
0: That's so many interesting uh, insights I want to touch also, Uh, One you mentioned a higher, slow, fire, fast. Uh, and this is very interesting, I want to touch, because if you're in a leadership position, most of the time, many managers, many leaders, find themselves having a hard time to let somebody, somebody go, because it's, it's not, not an easy task to uh, help the person to transition maybe to a better position or outside of the company. And I was reading this book by Ben Horowitz. He's talking about most of the time, uh, part of his book about this, the hard things about hard things is like many managers don't have to milk it out, just do it. You have to do it because you're in a leadership position. So talking about leadership position, uh, I wanted to, to ask you, now many people are maybe transitioning to a leadership position. Maybe many people are already in a leadership position And I want to ask you, what are some of the principles of leadership that you have developed by running your company? And which one would you uh, like to exert yourself more, but to see other people exert those uh, principles, especially now during this uh, crazy times, uncertain times?
1: The most important thing in leadership is clarity. You need yourself to have clarity. The second thing is optimism, because people like to follow optimists. You need to be a calculated optimist. Nobody wants to follow a pessimistic leader. And this is your job to, again, maintain at a certain level. Uh, Number three is trust. You need to have your team trust you. Um, They need to know that you have their back. If shit hits the fan, you are standing up for them. It's never a blame game. Um, They also need to trust you and like you on a personal level because your business is the continuation of who you are. And nobody wants to be a part of something evil or nasty or nobody wants to be a part of that. Everybody wants to be a part of something that makes the world better. So you need to truly breathe and see your vision and be the kind of person um, that they want to be affiliated with. And um, in terms of what... Other um, skills am I working on right now, and what shall the world work on, and in terms of leaders right now? Um, I think everybody in the world, right? Just because I see after half a year of lockdown and you know not seeing their team and doing all these Skype calls, they get very um, tired. Um, you know they get um, they get also frustrated. Some teams are downsizing. Uh, the profits are not. can have all those feelings, and you can be frustrated. You can be angry. You can be whatever. But as a leader, it is your responsibility to take hold of your mindset. So her mindset you know the gladiator and uh, right now is winter so winter is my season these are exactly the things that you need to train yourself um, up um and of course having empathy i think you know looking at your team as just people that do something for you in order for you and your company to achieve a goal is uh, is very very old school and you need to be empathetic uh, you need to be um, yeah, you need to know, as I said, if somebody's grandfather just passed away or if somebody uh, is moving houses or if somebody has a really bad toothache for the next three days, you need to be an empathetic leader so that people know that you are in the same boat that you truly care for them and uh, you cannot fake it. it just literally comes from within. So I think this kind of leader is always in about psychology. I'm constantly taking all sorts of courses and classes and retreats and masterminds. And I think that's what makes the biggest difference in, you know, in my leadership sees me doing that and they see me improve and they, I guess, get inspired as well. They're like, wow, Ashley's amazing. First of all, we really like her as a person. Well, I hope. And uh, we really, you know, like to be a part of this big mission and big vision. And at the same time, wow, she's learning all the time. So I'm showing them that they can also develop and they can also learn. And I'm giving them a lot of kind of um, transfer of the knowledge that I have by showing up daily in a different state, by also introducing some of those concepts, implementing it in the uh, office. And as a leader, you also need to train another muscle. And this is the muscle of decision-making. Um, any decision from what are we going to have for lunch today to shall we sign this contract or not, or can we do this or can we do not? The more you do decisions, the stronger is your muscle. So, as a leader, again, um, practice the muscle of decision making and, um, yeah. Take that journey together with your team. Inspire them to also take decisions without you. Another concept that I love and I practiced it for the past two years is leadership by absence. That's also incredibly empowering where I come into the office for a few hours, literally in the afternoon, I'm gone. I'm not in the office, not just because I want to lie in my bathtub and do nothing, but because um people when they're in the office by themselves they come up with better solutions they have space to breathe it's not just my overwhelming presence there all the time i need to be there but at the same time i need to give them that decision making power um and ability so leading by absence i also sign under this concept and uh, endorse it
0: i love this amazing tips uh one more question before uh And closing thoughts before uh, ending the podcast? What is the impact that you want to have on a personal level or maybe beyond the personal level as a founder?
1: Um, I see my mission in this life as an inspiration. I am the inspiration in this world. And um, I want to show people around me and also to prove myself then you can achieve anything in this world by having fun. Business is not a chore. Marketing is not a chore. chore. Having a team is not a chore. Waking up in the morning is not a chore. Eating is not a chore. This is life. This is the most amazing gift that we all received. And this gratitude must be the starting point of everything. And for me, gratitude obviously is there, but for me, it's extremely important to have fun. So I see my mission for people that see my journey or are part of my team or part of my family. I honestly see that I am an inspiration and I inspire them to make um, a move, to live this life to the fullest. And most importantly, to always have fun.
0: Ashley, I really had a lot of fun um, having this podcast with you. I hope you as well.